your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. There's never a dull day in the association. It's EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer. Welcome to Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey, WFAN original. We got a lot to talk about on today's show. A surprise, big news drop from Wednesday. Chris Paul's future in Phoenix seems very much in doubt. What exactly is going on? We still don't know, but we have literally three different reports from three of the top uh, NBA insiders in regards to what his future is. The first one coming from Chris Haynes being that he could actually be released so that he will be released from the Phoenix Suns. So Alex Tom Beer, is there any fit here with the New York Knicks? Also considering uh, the, the, the connection with Neon Rose and CAA. So we'll talk about that. Um, we're also going to play a new game, a new thing we've done, not done on Orange and Blue Blood yet. We're going to do a Knicks fact or fiction so there are very important uh topics coming up for this off season and this 2024 season so i'm asking tommy some simple questions to see if he thinks it's fact or fiction so that'll be it at the end of the show and i feel like i got to make it up to some of these knicks fans because we had to relive the reggie miller uh you know big 25.4 quarter and uh, uh you know choke sign game last week so for those who were disgusted by having to live through that we have a little bit of a better memory for you in this week in Knicks history. We're talking about Larry Johnson's four-point play. So a lot to get to on this episode. Again, Tommy Beer joining me as always. Tommy, how are you feeling? How'd you feel about the finals last time? We got the Nuggets up now 2-1 in that series. Yes, uh feel a little bit better. Doesn't look like quite as much of the apocalypse outside today. Oh, so that's, yeah. a, that's, that's, a good, that's a good thing. Um, uh, but yeah, the finals yesterday... Um, just a brilliant performance from from Nikola Jokic and, and and obviously Jamal Murray as well. Um, I hope that uh, you know that this is a reminder to folks that just because you may not uh, send funny messages on social media or demand trade requests, you can still be a compelling player. Um, right. And I, I hope that's one of the takeaways from uh, fr- from these finals because Jokic has been incredible. Um, so hopefully, uh, some of the uh, more higher rated TV shows uh, that cover the association will focus a little bit more um, on uh, you know, the, especially those with a national platform, uh, focus on the interesting uh, on court stuff as opposed to the uh, the the other foolishness uh, that that goes on at times. Yes, uh, Nicole Jokic is doing in these finals has been remarkable, and it's crazy because so much of his detractors, not just this season but the past two seasons, would say, "Okay, he could put up these yep. great numbers." But what do these numbers actually mean when it comes to the postseason? Well, now that he actually has, you know, his running mate Jamal Murray in a full roster, and then now he's putting up these insane numbers in the NBA finals, we're saying, "Wow, he's first guy to do this since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Wilt Chamberlain, the only player." to do a 30, 20, and 10 assist game ever in the NBA Finals. So uh, it, it does speak to just how, how remarkable uh, Jokic has been. Uh, Jamal he's Murray just, he, also really coming out hard for him as well. He's just stat padding, EJ. That's all he's doing. <laughs> yeah, just stat padding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's 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 remarkable. So that 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 continues to be a very compelling series. We'll see how the Heat answers in Game 4 in Miami. So, man, but Nuggets really sending a statement last night with a, a really kind of dominant second half to, to win that. To win I, I assume you th- I assume you think that he'd have to win game four to remain in the series. Do you think they win game four? I think they 
I don't feel good about them winning game four now. I mean, I picked them to get when with this, I picked them to win two games in this series. So my thought process was we go back to Denver, tie 2 2. It, they just got thoroughly dominated in that game. Like it just, it just wasn't even the first half, which I know they were done by five. Right. The Heat had one turnover and the Nuggets only made like four threes. It was yeah. like a weird first half. Like they were down by five, but they could have been down by 15. Nuggets make some threes. He just like t- turn over the ball a couple more times. Like one turnover and a half is crazy. Like that was a, they were lucky to be in that game at halftime. Like that was this, that to me was the first game where I watched and I felt like this looks more like the series that the people who were saying this is going to be a five game series or sweep was saying. I thought the first two games looked more like what I thought the series would be. This one was a little alarming because I'm like, hey, this looks a lot more like what we expected, um, what a lot of people expected. So, I'm gonna say yes because he tend to be a team that just yeah. they, they 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 defy odds. But did I see anything from that game to suggest that there is gonna be something that, that they'll be able to do? No, uh, Jokic is not getting any shorter. Uh, Murray's not getting any more uh, less lethal. So I, I think this is gonna be a long series, and they still haven't gotten anything from uh, Michael Porter Jr. So Nothing. the the fact that they they're uh, if they had anything from him, they'd be up three zero in this series. So uh, it does show a testament to just how talented the Nuggets are. So NBA Finals continues to be a big story. We got plenty of other big stories to get to. So again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey WFN original a podcast. You can get wherever you get your podcasts. You can find it on the free Odyssey app, as well as other uh, all other download streamable services. Also, make sure you hit that auto download feature on that streaming service so you can get these episodes every time you drop. Make sure you follow us on YouTube as well. You can subscribe to WFAN channel. You can subscribe to Odyssey Sports Channel. We drop just not just segments of the show, but the full show on there as well. So if you want to watch the show, check us out on there. If you want to listen to the audio, check us out on all your audio uh, streaming platforms. If you want to do both, do both because that helps us out. So wherever you want to catch us, you can find us. But let's get right to it and let's talk about this stuff involving Chris Paul. So we did talk about the Nuggets to start this series. I hope Michael Malone won't be... Uh, too mad when we uh, shift gears here. I know he gets very upset when we're not talking about how great the Nuggets are, but we do shift gears because uh, a big story in the NBA world was the impending future of Suns point guard Chris Paul. So Bleacher reports Chris Haynes was first reported that the Nuggets informed the 12 time also that he was uh, going to be weighed prior to the January 20, June 28th deadline when his $30 million salary for next season will become fully guaranteed. So by waiving Chris Paul, uh, the Suns will only be on the docket for $15 million, uh, not the full $30 million. And if they decide to stretch that remaining $15 million, they can stretch that into $3 million per uh, over five years. So $3 million, year, million dollars per year for five years if they decide to stretch the remaining $15 million uh, left on Chris Paul's contract if they do decide to cut him. So that was the first report. Then Shams and Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the Suns had not decided anything yet, that they are still exploring their options. That includes potentially trading him, trading him, packaging him with a DeAndre Ayton in a trade, or even waiving him, but actually then re-signing him to a cheaper deal. So uh, various different reports coming out. The first one saying that he he had been informed that he would indeed be waived. So uh, Chris Paul has been a player that has been linked to the Knicks at various different points in his career. If you remember when Melo wanted to come here, there was a thought that they were going to try to build a big three with him, Melo, and Mark Stoudemire. And then uh, more recently, when he left Oklahoma City, the Knicks were among 
the teams where Paul was reportedly interested in. There might have been some interest on the Knicks side as well. Uh, he had famously told Matt Barnes in 2020 that he had considered the Knicks an option, but didn't want to play in an empty Madison Square Garden during the pandemic year. And that was actually part of the reason why he ended up not uh, deciding to uh, push a trade to the Knicks when he was leaving Oklahoma City. So put it on the table here. I know some people may think it's crazy, but it has to be asked because this is a player that has deep ties to Leon Rose, deep ties to a lot of the people uh, in the Knicks front office. So I asked the question. Should Chris Paul be a player the Knicks consider this offseason? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I just don't see it as a match. I don't see it as a fit. Obviously, um, the Knicks have one kind of untouchable franchise cornerstone that they are going to build around. That's a 26-year-old Jalen Brunson, um, who's, as the Heat continue to advance in this postseason, um, his postseason performance and we'll talk about it over the summer but the more you think back on it really was incredible uh, only two players in the playoffs have averaged more than 30 points per game against Miami Nikola Jokic and Jalen Brunson um, not Tatum not Giannis although he was hurt um, not Jalen Brown obviously not Julius Randle um, not Jamal Murray um, so, you know, just uh, again, uh, and Brunson averaged 31 points while shooting 51% from the field. So um, I say all that to say that the Knicks finally have their point guard. Um, and I think adding a, a player past his prime, a 38 year old injury prone Chris Paul um, would be a move uh, that the uh, that past regimes would consider, you know, sell tickets and generate some interest, win the back page for a couple of days. But I don't think that's a, a move that that fits this current Knicks collective. I am so torn on this because everything you said is 100 percent right in many ways. You have a franchise point guard in Brunson. Uh, the Knicks have been burned in the past, signing well beyond their prime type of players. And then they come in and it never works out. But there's one example I keep thinking about that keeps making me making me wonder if the Knicks should consider this. And I'm thinking about Jason Kidd when he was added to the Knicks. Mm. Now the playoff Jason Kidd was a disaster because he 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 had run out of whatever however many pitches he had in his pitch count or innings he had he had run out because he then couldn't make a shot for a month. But I do think about like Jason Kidd's impact on that Knicks team as like the shooting guard. It was a very weird fit with him and Raymond Felton. But as like the shooting guard and almost like pseudo assistant coach yep. slash, you know, floor general without actually having the ball in his hands kind of guy. And he was instrumental to that 54 win season. Still yep. the best season the Knicks have had in 25 years. So I think about Chris Paul and where he's at in his career. And he's not going to be taking any minutes from Brunson. Uh, he's not someone that I think should be playing 35 minutes a night or anything like that. But there is a part of me that wonders. Could he make sense in the backcourt next to Emmanuel quickly coming off the bench? And could he provide some uh, late clutch shot making in certain games during the regular season? And can you keep him healthy enough to get him to the postseason where maybe he wins you a couple games there? Uh, I, it's something I would think about. I, I, can't, I can't say I, I would pull the trigger. The reason why I think I would lean maybe not doing it is because the problem has been Chris Paul hasn't been able to stay healthy in the postseason is that recently they've been trying to get him to that point and then he still gets hurt. So I would question whether it's even possible, but like having his guts and guile and having his mental aptitude on the roster for a team that is young, that we saw at times didn't play the smartest in the playoffs. 
especially against Miami. I can't think that Chris Paul having him on the roster would hurt. I can't hurt. I can't imagine that. Do you think Chris Paul has any interest? Do you think his, you know, remember, this is a guy that led the league in assists in, in 21, yeah. 22, you know, over 10, 10 assists per game. Do you think he's ready for that, like, last leg? Obviously, Kidd was on his last legs, was content yeah. coming off the bench, playing 15, 18, 20 minutes a night, um, clear backup. I, 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 I believe Chris Paul still envisions himself as a, as a starting point guard, as a championship caliber yeah. starting point guard. Um, that that proves that he wants to win a title, and that's his main motivation. Listen, if the, if he was willing to sign for like some of the mid level, and 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 you know just basically be a mentor to to Brunson and, and quickly and, right. and you know, teach Grimes the ropes, etc., um, that's a different story. I just view him as a guy that's you know really believes uh, that he has the ability to play at a high level and wants to play heavy minutes and wants the contract. And, yeah, like yeah, and it's a great question, and I tend to think that that you're right that that he does see himself. As a as a starting point guard, that's why I think you know as soon as he uh, w- there was word that he could be on the market, we saw a lot of people saying, "Well, could the Celtics use someone like him?" I mean, the Celtics uh, clearly, need, in my opinion, need an upgrade at point guard. Marcus Smart is a good basketball player, not necessarily a great point guard. So, I I, I I understand that. I guess my pushback would be, I just don't think Chris Paul is someone that a championship team should be relying on as a starting point guard. I mean, that'd be crazy at this point. He is 38 years old. He is extremely injury prone. Like uh, to me, like he is. I think if you're pl- if you're asking him to do that next season, I think you may be looking at like those last years Steve Nash had with the Lakers, where he gets so hurt, he's barely out there, and then he, when he actually plays, he becomes completely ineffective. Like kid taking that role, like saved him for that season. Like he was able to be a perfect player for most of that season because he took that role. Like if he would have stayed in Dallas for another year and said, I'm gonna play to be a starting point guard and run the show, he wouldn't have lasted. I mean, again, he he barely got through that one season where he was kind of playing this pseudo shooting guard six man role. Like Chris Paul is 38 years old. And I think that at the end of the day, like this is the role he probably has to step into. He may be more talented than Jason Kidd was at that time, but I think their bodies are pretty much the same. And we saw when Steve Nash was asked to do that, Steve Nash looked really good in Phoenix prior to coming with the Lakers. But Father Father Time is undefeated. Yeah. So if I'm Chris Paul, I, I'm Leon Rose, and I say, I pitched him, hey, like, you know, maybe you'll go down to Boston and maybe, like, you know, they'll give you the starting point guard just spot. But trust me, like, they're going to be relying on playing 25 to 35 minutes a night, and they're going to need you to be one of the top-end players in the playoffs. And if you break down, guess who they're going to point the finger at for why they didn't get it done? It's going to be you. If you go to the Lakers, it's the same thing. You want to go and start next to LeBron and AD? Ask other players who came up short with LeBron James how it went for them and how LeBron's fans and Laker fans deal with that. Ask Russell Westbrook how that works. If you come to the Knicks, not nearly as much pressure, a team that's not looked at as a title contender, but you could maybe take us to another level and we could actually preserve years in your career. That would be my pitch to him. It's an interesting pitch. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I was – I would say that there was no chance of it happening, but uh, I, I think you present an interesting opportunity. My my counter would be that what Chris Paul, what's best for Chris Paul, um, and what Chris Paul thinks, you know, is again to make it in the NBA to be an all time first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, you have to have an insane ego. You have to have insane self belief and confidence. Yeah. And, and and think you know yourself as that you know you don't, you don't luck into and, and by the way by all accounts Chris Paul has all of those things <laughs> right? 100%, 100%, ego all that stuff yeah hundred percent you need it and you need it yeah. um uh 
uh, you know, so, so again, you know, if you're the Lakers, um, and I think again, it's not like he'll, he'll have a lack of suitors. Um, you, you make very good points, but the, the Lakers alternative is D'Angelo Russell, who wasn't playable in the postseason. Yeah. You could say, is Chris Paul any better a defender than, than D'Angelo Russell at, at this stage of his career? Uh, maybe just based on guile and, and, and IQ and all that other stuff. Um, and you know, any team that signs him is going to tell them, listen, we're going to play you 45 to 55 games. We're going to limit your minutes, et cetera. We want to keep you healthy, yada, yada, yada. You know, that the Lakers can do that with some of the depth they have, um, Celtics can do that, obviously, with Smart and Brogdon and uh, Peyton Pritchard if they want to go that route. Um, but you're right. As far as the Knicks are concerned, I, I, I think it's it's worth exploring to see if he's willing to kind of go that route. And again, I think the, the, the one and you mentioned it at the beginning, um, why it does, you know, certainly make some sense to at least consider it is. Paul and Leon Rose are very close, you know, Absolutely. At, at each other's wedding. I mean, they're, they are, they are tight as, as tight as, as agent player can be. So, um, you know, if nothing else, Paul would do his buddy Leon Rose a favor and maybe just say, listen, I'm interested in the Knicks because they're playing so well, you know, that type of thing just kind of generate some positive buzz from the, uh, for, for New York going into yeah. the, with the uh, free agency period. Look, Knicks have, uh, Emmanuel Quickly, who can, of course, be the backup point guard when Carl's not playing. They have Deuce McBride. So, like, they have other guys who, like, Chris Paul doesn't have to play 82 games for the Knicks at all. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, like, the other thing I thought about, too, there's two players, actually. It wasn't just Jason Kidd. I also thought about what I've seen Kyle Lowry do with Miami this year. Mm. Like, Kyle Lowry's making, like, $25 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to pay Chris Paul that. Right. But, like, I'm thinking, like, like, Kyle Lowry's won games for the yeah. playoffs with his shot making, with him just taking these charges, like, just – Ripping the ball, I got his hands on rebounds. Like, I, like I absolutely could envision Chris Paul doing that for some team. Definitely. Um, and I wondered if that could be the Knicks. So that was my other thought there. Um, are you surprised that Phoenix is willing to move on from Chris Paul? Potentially. Uh, I, just, I mean, we don't know what's happening, but right, I right. think Chris Haynes is right, but right. And one thing on the Paul thing, uh, um, I think he might be a year away from your from him embracing kind of that role, that Jason gotcha. Kidd, that Kyle, you know, give it one more shot, maybe sign a one-year deal with the Lakers or Boston. Yeah. Um, and then if that, and then if he flops or get injured, you know, then he's 39. I think, I think Kidd might've actually been 39 too. When he I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as the Phoenix situation, uh, important to note, um, you mentioned it uh, in the preamble. So uh, Phoenix has a couple options. Obviously they're, they, they're going to consider trading him. If they can get some assets back, that'd be the ideal scenario. Um, if they waive him and don't stretch him, they can re-sign him as you as you noted for a cheaper contract. And and you know if he, if he assuming he clears waiver clears waivers, which he most likely will do. However, if they stretch him, uh, waive him and stretch him, which means you know um, that fifteen million gets split over three seasons, so it reduces the cap, gives them more uh, um, salary cap flexibility. You know they're they're they'd be further below the that second. Um, yeah. apron, which we've talked about uh, in the past and we'll continue to talk about because that's going to be a major story for all teams, yep. especially high-spending teams. And the and the uh, Suns have two high max-level contracts, and obviously in Durant and Booker, and then uh, uh, DeAndre Ayton making uh, you know 30, 35, around 30 yeah. million. Um, so, the, so those are the things. So I so it's it's not certainty that that he won't come back. Again, the options are. Um, if as long as they don't stretch that contract, they can waive them and then resign them. Um, so I, I, I think there's a possibility that that happens. Um, but yeah, listen, I, I was, I got to admit, I am, I think we all were a little bit surprised um, considering the fact that 
the uh, that they made the major trade for Durant. That we know the close relationship between KD and CP3, um, yeah. and that this was kind of their their big three, so to speak, along with Aiden, obviously that kind of core four. Um, but I will say, and some other people have kind of um, you know this has kind of been rumbling about Twitter a little bit. The you have to assume that the Suns, you know, have somebody have have a, have have somebody warming up in the bullpen before right. they yank their starting pitcher. So, you know, there's been talk about maybe James Harden James is Harden, a guy that they right. that they have eyes on, maybe Kyrie, you know, who knows you know what what other options and opportunities they 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 could Fred Van Vliet's a free agent as well. So, we'll see kind of how this thing all plays out. Um but uh it it should certainly make for an interesting offseason. It's crazy because, like, I, I had actually been talking about this with my brother, uh, like a while ago. It's probably actually when the, when the Suns lost because I, I kept saying I thought the Suns were in one of the worst positions for some of the championship contenders, not obviously Kevin Durant and Booker, but in terms of roster building moving forward, I thought they were in a ton of trouble. I mean, they have seven guys under contract next year, and that's including Chris Paul, Cameron Payne, who also has a non guaranteed contract, and uh, Ish. Ishmael Wainwright, who has a team option, who they'll probably pick up at, you know, basically two million. Like seven guys for a team that all throughout the playoffs we kept saying, man, this team has no depth. Like, oh, how do you, well, how do you fill a roster out with just seven guys? I mean, okay, maybe two rookies come in next year. Okay, now you're at the nine, and then you guys sign other guys with the money that they were making. Like, they were going to be one of those teams that was going to be right up, up 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 against that apron. I think if you sign two uh, rookies, you probably go above that. So now you can't use that non-taxpayer $12 million exception. So now you're kind of screwed. Like now I'll figure out a way to find a way to build the rest of your roster out. So I actually thought like Chris Paul, they had to do something with him. Like they either had to waive him or trade him. Like they could not allow themselves to come into this year with it's all season with seven guys under contract and being one of the, the high tax paying teams. Like that was not an option. So it, I don't think they wanted to be here, but I think this is kind of where they, they, they landed themselves. I think that, in my opinion, if I was them, I would waive him and sign him. I'd say, look, we're giving you $15 million anyway. So yeah. if we cut you and you take five, okay, you're getting 20. Are you getting $25 million from someone else? Like, maybe? I don't know. I mean, what is Chris Paul worth on the open market? I think that's a very interesting question. Kind of, There are a lot of guys who have these who, – who are going to be free agents, potentially, like him and Draymond Green, where I'm like, I don't, I don't know what those guys are worth in the open market. Not that they're not valuable assets, but – Asking to, to you know sign those guys for multiple years or a lot of dollars, given their issues, whether it be Draymond with lack of offense, lack of reliability in terms of the suspensions and texts with Chris Paul has helped. I don't know what that's worth, but I, I can't imagine he's going to make that thirty million back. So it might then be them trying to make a gamble here. But if they do decide to stretch and wave him, that I'm a little less wary of because, I mean, you still are, you're still going to be over the cap. So, like, yeah. how many guys do you really think you can sign with that $12 million? I mean, it's Arizona is playing with KD and Book, so maybe I'm underestimating that. But it, that just seems like, I don't know. I, I think that I'd prefer to just use the rest of that $15 million to sign Chris Paul and sign maybe two other guys and think that can stretch, that I can get a bunch of different guys, and not including Chris Paul, that $12 million. I don't know. It, it's, it seems a little odd. The math doesn't seem right there. Yeah, it, it, again, you have to think that there's there's another move that that's coming down the pike. You know, they're at least availing themselves the opportunity. Um, we'll see how it plays out, yeah. but it's it's definitely rolling the dice a little bit. And um, you know, it, it kind of goes back to you know something we talked about. You know, regarding Embiid, and you know, if another superstar comes in the market, how many of these teams that you know again the Suns traded Cam Johnson, four first round draft picks, and Mikael Bridges 
for a 35 year old Kevin Durant, you know, and he traded Jay Crowder, who they weren't playing, who was on the team. Yep. And who, who the Nets flipped for four second yeah. rounders. Um, so it's just one of those things where, you know, if you're the if you're the Suns, now that you've caught Chris Paul, um, would you rather have a 26 year old Mikhail Bridges making 25 million or 34 year old Kevin Durant making, uh, you know, 40, 45 million? It's again, not to mention the four first round draft picks. It's, uh, you know, uh, listen, if you have KD, yeah. you have to give yourself a chance to win KD and Booker, you know, but can he stay healthy? There's just these these superstar trades when it seems like, you know, you give up whatever you have to give up to get the stud player don't always work out as we found out the last few years. Yeah, I mean, that's why I I, I do not, I did not love where the Suns were after this trade beyond this season. I felt like yep, this was an right. all in for this yes. season kind of trade. Yep. And now that they failed miserably in the playoffs, it's like, well, good luck trying to figure out how to figure out the rest of this roster and good luck keeping KD healthy and hopefully Chris Paul healthy. Not to mention the fact that Nuggets aren't going anywhere. That you know, they're they're at the start of what they're doing. Everybody's locked up. Jokic, Murray, MPG, again, if he gives you anything, Aaron Gordon's a great piece. And Bruce Brown's signed. How about Christian Brown, the game he played uh Christian Brown, you know, having a big you know second half as a rookie. Um, you know, finding him as that seventh player in the rotation. Now you have, you know, now you're a championship team. Um, that's when you can really sign those guys that take that minimum level contract um to to find to to be that eighth player, you know, that to really settle into that, you know, a Jason Kidd type end of the career player that's ready to contribute. Right, kind of like the guy they have right now, Jeff Green. They'll have a couple yep. more guys like that probably next couple yep. of years. So, yeah, uh, Suns in a little bit of a weird position. We'll see if the Knicks are involved in anything involving this Chris Paul Suns situation. But it will be a fun situation to follow. Okay, so there will be several key storylines to pierce through this offseason for the Knicks. And to touch on a wide range of topics, I figured we could play a new game, a game we've not played on Orange and Blue Buzz, we will play a game of fact and fictions, fact or fiction. So here's how it will work. I'll make a statement about the Knicks offseason and 2024 season. I'll ask Tommy if the statement is fact or fiction. So let's begin with the draft, which is actually just a couple of weeks away. Knicks currently don't have any picks in this draft. So, Tommy, the Knicks will acquire a first-round pick in this month's draft, fact or fiction. I'm going to go with fiction. Um, I think one of the reasons the Knicks were comfortable trading away their first round pick in the Josh Hart deal was because their their rotation is stacked. You know, we know Tibbs doesn't like to go 11, 12 deep. Um, no. You know, it was, it was a it was a story when it when it when it went down to nine. I just don't see a, an avenue for playing time for a player that they would draft um, if he's a stash and, you know, guy they can stash overseas for a couple seasons. But I think I could see him moving into the early second round. This way, there's, you know, less money guaranteed, more options in terms of um, stashing him overseas or, you know, one of those type of scenarios. Um, so I think they'll be open to the opportunity. I think they'll have a couple guys. And if, hey, if this guy would really like, and he, if he falls past 22, then we'll, you know, we'll, I'm sure they have relationships with a number of teams and say, what are you thinking about? Yada, yada, yada. So I, I certainly won't rule it out. Um, but I, I would say that, um, you know, again, and the Knicks, you know, keep in mind, they have seven first round picks over the next 10 seasons. So they they have plenty of, you know, they'll, they will have plenty of rookies uh, coming into the, you know, bringing an infusion of talent as early as next season when they could have three first round picks. Um, so, those, so for all those reasons, I, I think it's more likely uh, that they remain, you know, keep the kind of sit on their assets, sit on their hands and, and sit this one out. Yeah, I'm going to go with fiction as well. I think teams are less inclined to sell first-round picks as opposed to just drafting a European player or an international player they could stash 
overseas. We see the Spurs do that. Obviously, they kind of were the first team that kind of started doing that. And now we're seeing almost all NBA teams uh, and, and do that. Can you buy yourself in the first round still? Yes, that, do, that still does happen. But uh, I think it will be a lot harder to do that. The Knicks have the assets to get back into the first round. They do have a lot of those, those protected first they got from all these various different trades, a lot of them, you know, from last year's draft. But I don't think they want to touch those for a draft pick. I think they want to include those in a trade for a veteran or potentially a star. So I'm, I'm going to agree. I think that they do come away with this from this draft with a player, probably someone in the second round, but it won't be someone that they draft in the first round. So I'll agree. I'll go fiction there as well. Okay. Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin are set or eligible to sign – uh, their rookie extensions this offseason. So statement here is Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin will sign extensions this offseason with the Knicks. Fact or fiction? So you're asking IQ and Obi Toppin? Yes, including both of them in this. For for that, I will say fiction. I believe that Emmanuel Quickly gets an extension. Knicks lock him up long term. Um, I think they allow Obi um, one more season. Um, you know, then he's then he's still a restricted free agent after this upcoming season. Um, assuming that they don't trade Randall, which I still think is a possibility, so I, I certainly won't rule it out. Um, but as of today, um, I think just IQ gets his extension, Obi does not. Yeah, I think it, I agree. I think it all hedges on if Randall gets traded this offseason. If he does, then I think Obi will get will get resigned. If he does not, then they won't sign Obi to an extension. I don't – I mean, I hate to say it because it means that I'm admitting something I don't want to happen, but I don't think Randall gets traded. So because of that, I think that this is a fictional statement. I, I think that Emmanuel quickly gets – probably gets signed, but I don't know if it's the formality that, like, uh, maybe some – and I'm not saying you think it's a formality, but maybe there's something that, that Knicks will find a way to get that done. Like I told you uh, before when we talked about this a couple of a weeks ago, maybe a month ago, like – Man quickly can you know look at some of these deals that some of these cards have gotten, or maybe he can look at just a depth chart and see that you know as long as he's here, he's always going to be behind uh, Jalen Brunson and say, "Hey, I know next season somebody's going to need a starting point guard. Like, why not test the test the market and see if I can get a starting job somewhere and make the Knicks have to fork over a hundred million dollars maybe for a backup." You know, point guard or backup six man, whatever you consider a man quickly. Like, you know, maybe he'll want to force his hand in that regard and then bet on himself. I, I think that's probably less likely than him just signing a, a more team friendly deal, but I don't think it's off the table. So uh, I'm not sure if either guy signs. It's definitely way more likely quickly does, but I agree. I think Toppin uh, won't won't sign as long as uh, Randall's here. So I'm going to say fiction on that. Also for Toppin, it wouldn't make sense for him to sign while Randall's here because the Knicks can just point to him saying, hey, you average eight points a game. So here's, you know, $50 million, you know, the deal that Brunson rejected by, by the uh, Maverick. They'll probably offer him something like that. And he'd say, what the hell? I know I'm better than that. Like, let me play this thing out. And, you know, if you don't want me, I can just go to Richard free agency and, and see if someone else will, will pay me as a starter. Or maybe I outplay that number for whatever reason. Maybe Randall gets hurt. Maybe I got to start a bunch of games. Either way, like he doesn't want to sign an extension given the body of work he's put together as an NBA player so far. We know his potential, his talent, but he hasn't had the opportunity to show it. Yeah, um, as far as IQ goes, um, think about the teams that that need for point guards that are in the market for point guards right now. You know, now, yeah, um, the Lakers uh, are the Suns going to be in the market for point guard. The Clippers, you know, these are high team teams that are willing to shell out big money. Um, that are, that are the, you know, so those are those are situ scenarios that that uh, IQ is going to keep an eye on, to say the least. Okay, 
the Knicks replacement for Scott Perry, a general manager, will come in-house. Fact or fiction? Yeah, I think that's a fact. I think uh, Gerson Rosas is the guy that uh, um, Leon eventually tabs to uh, kind of inherit the GM spot. I think, um, you know, two guys align vision. You know, Leon is obviously going to hire his own guy. Um, he's brought him. He, there's there's comfort. Uh, there's a comfort level. There's a familiarity there. So I think Rosas gets named sooner rather than later, actually. Yeah, I'm going to go fact as well. But the Knicks are a weird team. Like, I don't know if this is going to happen very soon. Like, I, I I think there's a chance we go into the season without a general manager, which really won't be that big a deal, I think, as long as someone's doing the day-to-day duties of general manager. But right. we, we know the Knicks front office operates at the beat of their own drum. We know the ownership operates at the beat of their own drum. And it wouldn't surprise me if they decided that they could just lose it to the general manager and decide, oh, we'll just, you know, figure it out and just do the job ourselves and make up for what Scott Perry lost. Um, but, yes, I do think eventually when that happens, maybe it's not – in the next month, maybe it's not even again before the season starts. I do think eventually uh, Gerson Rosas or uh, Perrin, either one of those guys, ends up becoming the general manager. Um, I can see a scenario where they they, they want Perrin that role as well, but I'm going to say that they go with Rosas, uh, and he will eventually be named general manager. But I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. Okay, here's an interesting one that I don't think a lot of people have really thought about, but uh, Tom Thibodeau's contract expires at the end of the 2025 season, meaning he has – just two years left on his current deal. So, Tommy, Tom Thibodeau will sign a contract extension this offseason with the Knicks. Fact or fiction? Yeah, I'm going to say fiction. I think that the Knicks will let this year play out. Um, you know, Thibodeau doesn't have to worry about being a lame duck. He's those two years. Um, has another year after this year. So it's not like questions are going to be constantly coming at him. Um, and the thing I've always, you know, like to keep in mind when it comes to Leon Rose and, and Tibbs, even when Tibbs was on the hot seat last summer, early this season, is Leon Rose knows that once he, somebody has to get thrown overboard, the first guy you throw overboard is the head coach. That'll buy Leon Rose probably a little more time, right. um, uh, you know, to, to kind of figure things out or let things play out, et cetera. Um, so I, if you sign Tibbs to a long contract extension, it's tougher sell to the owner that you're firing or head coach. You're going to have to pay him for four more years as opposed to just one more year. Um, so I think that flexibility works in uh, um, Leon Rose's favor. So I think that's why they'll put off the extension talks as long as possible. Whew, I hope you're right. Um, I'm going to say fact, which scares the hell out of me. But uh, I think I think what we saw in the first year of Tibbs, like they, they remember he had a they had a five-year deal, but the fifth year was a team option. After the first season when the Knicks had a really good year, they made the playoffs at 14 in the East, 41-31, I believe was their record. Um, they picked up Tibbs' option kind of quietly. For the fifth year on, on, on and this is after his first year in New York. And you know, I remember kind of picking, you know, pulling my hair out, being like, What why are you making moves five years down the line after just one season? I, I feel like this Knicks organization and this front office likes to champion their wins, likes to champion the, the things they're proud of. So, like, you know, and then giving RJ Barrett that extension while you're in the midst of the Donovan Mitchell uh, negotiations, I think was part of that. Um, I think giving Tibbs that pick up his fifth-year option in year after year one, which seems insane to me, I think is part of that. Uh, I, I think that, you know, there's a chance that maybe they'll look at this offseason and say, hey, do we want to have a situation where we go into next year and we have a question about, you know, if the team does really well now, how, how much longer are we extending Tibbs? How much money are we giving him? 
I think if you extend them now to like a, something, maybe a, maybe add two more years onto the current deal he has, uh, it's probably better than the Knicks maybe winning, you know, 53 games next year. And you come into the offseason, say, all right, well, you know, Tibbs is going to need a new four or five year contract, which I, I don't, I don't think even they would want to do. So, and the Knicks have always been smart with the try to be, be frugal when they can with some of these deals as opposed to giving out the max. So I actually think there's a small chance or a decent chance that they actually do extend him to something, maybe again, maybe adding two years to the deal with the same amount of money, maybe a slight raise, and maybe they extend him through 2027. That would make me go crazy, and we'll probably be yelling about it on Orange and Blue Bloods if and when that happens. But uh, considering the Knicks like to champion, again, their wins, and that this was a very very successful season for this organization, I can see them wanting to uh, give Tib that uh, that uh, that little like carrot. So I'm going to say I'm going to say fact. What's crazy is that Tibbs is by far the longest tenured coach in the Atlantic Division. Uh, all the other four teams' coaches have been, uh, you know, Joe Mazzulla is the second longest tenured. He's been on the job, what, 10 months, 11 months? So yeah. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy considering the Knicks have, for a lot of yes. the last 20 years, been in the basement of that division. And a lot of those organizations in this division are, divis- are organizations that we, we were told were first-class organizations, organizations yep. that, you know, Knicks won the model themselves after. Well, again, none of these guys – have a coach that's lasted more than a year. So it, it does speak to maybe uh, maybe things not being as rosy in other places as other people may think. Okay, a uh, couple more here. Knicks finished this past postseason starting Brunson, Grimes, Barrett, Randall, and Mitch in the starting lineup. Fact or fiction, that will be the same starting lineup on opening night. I'm going to go with fiction. I think that mm-hmm. there's – I think a deal gets done at some point. I think – that Rose pulls the trigger. I, I think something to keep in mind and, and something we've kind of mentioned and hinted at and some we'll talk about over the next couple of months. They have Jalen Brunson on arguably the best value contract in the NBA right now outside of rookie contracts, like non-max contracts. Yeah. Um, Jalen Brunson being outside of the top 50 highest paid players in the NBA is an absolute steal. And then his contract dips even further the next season. Um and I think that this two-year window, um, it's sort of like when, uh, to use an analogy, when you draft a quarterback in the first round and you have those five years player controlled. Right, yeah. And, you know, like we saw the Seahawks do with Russell Wilson. When you can spend like crazy because you're only paying your quarterback, you know, it, you, Bengals are doing this a little bit with yeah, Burrow. Yeah, Eagles had done it with Jalen Hurts and so just having to pay him this past offseason. Exactly. When you have a key player making so far below market value – that you you know you have this little window to, to really push the envelope, and I think the Knicks will take advantage of that scenario. Um, and so I'm not sure if it's Randall that gets dealt, or maybe Mitchell Robinson even, or, or you know maybe R.J. Barrett you know get, gets involved in a deal. Um, but I think with as much kind of so much up in the air and so many good great players kind of floating around the ether, you know, well, I think the Knicks and, and Leon Rose um, pulls the trigger on a big superstar deal. Oh, this is a tough one. I, I'm making the questions. You know, I'm not, I, I swear to people, I'm not patting myself on the back. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say fact. I, I, I think, I think there's a, I think there, I think that a lot of these guys will names will be floated around this off season. Something tells me that a trade that's gonna change the starting line is gonna happen at the deadline, and not maybe in the off season. Um, there just are too many imperfect guys out there that are available whether it be a Zach Levine, whether it be a Carl Anthony Towns, like all these guys, whoever, whichever guy you want to name, there's always something about them that kind of makes you think, oh, the Knicks really want to sign on to that. 
And, and you know, in the case of Levine, for example, maybe he's a guy that you want you know want to wait another half years to get further out away from that contract, as opposed to having you know four full years, how many more, more years he has left on that deal. I, I think they come back with a starting lineup, uh, but maybe something happens midseason that changes things. So I'm gonna say uh, fact on this one. But I think this is probably the one I think that could actually go like 50-50. I think this could go either way. Yeah, I think Vegas would probably have it probably 65-35 that, that it stays the same, that there are no yeah. major changes. But I just – I think something something pops loose that, that the Knicks jump on. And last one on this, Jalen Brunson makes his first All-Star game next season. Fact or fiction? Yeah, I think that's a fact. You know, he deserved to make it this year. Um, sometimes that's kind of a, a year behind in terms of reputation. And now he has that that full body of work um, on tape. And obviously his postseason performance, which actually is even better than his regular season performance, incredibly mm-hmm. enough. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's not, not obviously not a lifetime achievement award, but just kind of, you know, we didn't get you in last time. So if it's, you know, if we're deciding between two guys, let's err on the side of, of Jalen Brunson. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a fact here. Um, I think we've seen this in Knicks, with Knicks players in the past. Uh, Tyson Chandler winning defensive player of the year, not making the All-Star game. Next year, he makes it. Uh, David Lee has a really great season, doesn't make the All-Star game. Next year, he makes it in his last year in New York. Like, I think that we've seen this a lot, where a guy, you know, perhaps is underrated and then kind of go through the rest of the season. You realize, wow, this guy had a great year. Like, how did this guy not make an All-Star game? And the next year, uh, the voters and people were paying attention. Uh, they, they kind of maybe give a little more credit to the numbers they're putting up. Uh, and not kind of just poo-pooing it, saying, oh, it's the Knicks, who cares? I, I think that um, Brunson makes it next year. I think him and uh, Murray probably both become the, you know, they kind of leave that mantle as the two best players, you know, not to make an all-star game. I, I think but Brunson uh, definitely makes it. and Because I, I think the Knicks also will have another good season next year. I think the Knicks will be probably right back in the top five of the Eastern Conference, five or six. And if you're in that conversation, you'll get an all-star. I actually wonder if Julius Randle makes an all-star game next year. Like, I wonder if given what he did in the postseason again, will that make people again maybe be more inclined to not credit the regular season uh, production that he does, um, or will he still get that? I think that that would actually be more interesting, but I think that Brunson does make the All-Star game. But that'll do it for this edition of Fact or Fiction. I thought that was fun. I hope Tommy had fun as well. I like it. I like uh, it. Yeah, mixing it up a little bit. We got to mix up a bunch of different things uh, during the summer, so we'll have plenty of other fun uh, subjects and fun topics. But we got another segment. That is not new that we've done in the past. And like I said earlier in the show, last week, some Knicks fans probably were annoyed. They had to relive one of Reggie Miller's greatest moments, the infamous choke sign in game five of the Eastern Conference against the Knicks. So I decided to make it up to you guys with a more pleasant memory of the Knicks Pacers rivalry. Today on This Week in New York, we celebrate the four-point play. 11 and 9, 10 seconds to go. Ward with a pass tip, but handled by Johnson. Johnson is three-point territory, but guarded tightly. Johnson cuts left, now fires a three, and it's good, and he's fouled! It counts, and he is fouled! Unbelievable shot with five and seven-tenths seconds remaining. Of all the unlikely plays we have seen here in Madison Square Garden over the years involving the game of hoops, this one was unpredictable, unimaginable, you couldn't comprehend a play like that happening if you were the smartest man in the history of the NBA or the best coach ever. It was unbelievable. And the game's a long way from being over. Got it. New York by one. Timeout, Indiana. 
So that was the great Marv Albert. RIP to the legendary Johnny Hoops, John Andreas yeah. on the Knicks radio call. Then you had at the end there, Bill Walton and uh, Tom Hammond on the NBC call. So uh, on June 5th, 1999, Larry Johnson uh, made one of the biggest shots in Knicks history with the Knicks down 91-88 in Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals. LJ hit a three-pointer over Antonio Davis while being fouled to tie the game with five seconds left. He would then hit the free throw to give the Knicks the lead. Knicks went on to win that game, went on to win that series, and became the first team in NBA history to advance to the NBA Finals as an eighth seed. So, Tommy, uh, where were you when it happened? How did you feel when it happened? And was there a foul on Antonio Davis in that play, which has become very controversial? Yeah, I think, listen, I think the foul was there. I think it was probably on the floor. So I think the Knicks got mm. the benefit of, of the doubt, right. you know, kind of that rip through move that we that we see so often um, had that been called nowadays. Um, but it was also just great to hear Johnny Hoops' voice um, yes. because uh, before I had MS, before we had MSG at our house, um, I would just listen to the Knicks games on the radio. Um, so I do remember that uh, around bedtime. So, so shout out to the great Johnny Hoops. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, listen, I, I, you know, it's an incredible shot. Um, and, and I think he did get fouled. Um, was it could have been on the floor? Sure. But uh, I have no sympathy for uh, those, those claiming otherwise and those Pacers. So uh, <laughs> go LJ. Yeah, and also man. shout out to shout out to Chris Childs for calming him down after he made the after he yes, made the, the yeah, that's one of my play. one of my favorite things. Like you know, Larry Johnson's going crazy, and then he really got to calm down. And Chris Childs, like, hey, relax, we got to make this yep. free throw. Spree, of course, not caring. He's running <laughs> around like they've already won the game. And he jumps in there. I mean, it's a great moment in Knicks history. And actually, I want to mention, I want to play one more quick sound by this is from Tom Thibodeau in 2021. He was on a Knicks staff uh, describing you know his favorite moments being with the Knicks, and one of them. Uh, being LJ's uh, four-point play. LJ's four-point shot, I've never heard a building as loud as the garden was that after that shot. And I think it was a, a huge shot. Unfortunately, uh, Patrick got hurt uh, and Larry got hurt. And uh, we gave everything we had against the Spurs, but the Spurs played well and uh, they earned the championship. So Tibbs there talking about uh, is the loudest he ever heard Matt Square Garden. I I think I agree. I was not there, but through the television set. I mean, I mean, and, and whenever you play it, you know, you know, I've seen it played since. Like the Garden erupted, and most people who were there in that game say that that is the loudest they've ever heard Matt Square Garden, which is crazy considering we talked about the dunk a couple of weeks ago. We talked about other great moments, Mellow's double bang. Like we we've, we've heard the Garden come unglued, but. That it seemed like that was different, um, and, and and that that was a special moment in Nick's history. Is it the greatest shot in Nick's history? Uh, I, I would probably lean again. I mean, it's the most memorable, one of the most iconic. Um, but the fact that it didn't culminate in a championship, you know, kind of hurts its its ranking. I would say, you know, um, whether that's you know, um, you know, Willis's first two jumpers. Right. But yeah, you're right. There's not a ton of just singular. Right. Obviously the, the dunk is in the conversation. Patrick's putback over the Pacers in Game Seven um, to seal yeah. the uh, seal the Eastern Conference Finals for New York is up there in that conversation. So um, it's definitely in the conversation. Yeah, I think it's up there. Uh, I think I think Allen Houston shot is the greatest, yep. in my opinion, because yeah. um, it was a deciding game. Right were down, they were down here too. But that was a deciding game. If they lose, you know, they they don't even go on this run to the NBA Finals. So, uh, so I, I I put it probably uh, I probably put Allen Houston one. I maybe put Willis's first jumper two in getting uh, in Game Seven of the NBA Finals, and I maybe I put Larry Johnson number three. But um, but uh, definitely a great moment. Well, how would you describe Larry Johnson as a Nick for those who did not watch Larry Johnson as a Nick? 
some people remember him more as a Hornet. Very different player from when he was yeah. uh, with the Knicks. And that's the important distinction there is is he he basically the back injuries robbed him of his athleticism. Larry Johnson yeah. out of UNLV coming to the Hornets was arguably the m- most dynamic combination of size, strength, speed, quickness the league had seen in quite some time. You know, think Zion Williamson, a slim down, more yeah. you know, muscular version. Um, and that's not hyperbole. Like that he had that type no. of athleticism, um, could jump, you know, incredible, you know, uh, vertical leap and and, and strength and spin moves and everything hurt his back comes to the New York's kind of the second half of his career. And, and I'll leave it to people that know far more basketball than myself. You know, Jeff Van Gundy has said time and time again, Larry Johnson, the greatest teammate he ever coached in, mm-hmm. in his entire time in the NBA with all the stops he made, assistant coaches, coaches, head coaches, Rockets, Knicks, Larry Johnson was the single greatest teammate he ever coached. And I think that speaks volumes about uh, LJ's leadership um, you know, his reliability, um, his unselfishness, all the things that that encapsulate a, a great player, a great teammate, um, a great locker room leader. That was LJ. Um, and so uh, credit to him. Yes, credit to Larry Johnson. That's why MSG shows him a lot of love. You see yep. him at the Garden a bunch. You see him uh, doing uh, you know, content for MSG a bunch on MSG Network. So uh, he definitely deserves it. Uh, great moment. Great Nick. I think he was an underrated player on the Knicks. Like, like he couldn't jump or anything. But I mean, he was talking about post moves. Like he could up and under, turn around fadeaways. I mean, he 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 was an absolute wizard in the post. The fact that he was able to be so effective despite having just a poor uh health with the back injury and, and, and Tibbs mentioning it going into that series against the the the, uh, the Spurs, he was a non-factor because of that injury. Ewing didn't play because of uh, his injuries. You know, that's the reason why the Knicks really couldn't compete in that series. Larry Johnson, underrated Nick. So um, that's a good place to leave it, though. Thank you guys again so much for checking out Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey, WFA, and original. Tommy, let the people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Again, uh, this is uh, Orange and Blue Bloods, the New York Knicks podcast. You can find wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service. You can get these episodes every time we drop. Back next week for more episodes. Also, check us out on YouTube. You can find us on WFAN and the Odyssey Sports channel. So, Tommy, I'm EJ. Take these guys. Peace.